Are you an anesthesia nerd like us? Then you do not want to miss this week's episode. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And if you're like me, one of the topics that was kind of tough in veterinary medical school was anesthesia. And sadly, I think they kind of glossed over a lot of it and gave us just some cookbook stuff. And then they said, go out into the world and sedate and anesthetize dogs and cats. But it's not quite that easy. And to make it a little easier for all of us, today we have got a very special guest. But before I tell you who it is, as always, I am your co-host, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And we are so excited to have our guest on the show today. We have wanted to get her in for years now. And truly, her name is synonymous with all things pain management in veterinary medicine. So we are so excited to have Tosh McNerney joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Tasha Payne McNerney, correct? Is that (laughs) that you've legally changed your name? Um, I mean, I actually go by Tasha McNerd now. Uh, And that's how you guys probably know her on Facebook. Mm -hmm. If you have seen, if you've seen her, she is the founder of Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds on Facebook, which is blown out of proportion. But before all that, she uh, received her bachelor's degree in 2000. 2003 from Michigan State, way up north. She's now a Philadelphia resident and received her AA in Manor College, which is there in Philadelphia back in 2006. Tasha's got a VTS at anesthesia, and she's also a certified veterinary pain practitioner. This girl knows all about pain management and anesthesia in the veterinary practice, and she's getting all kinds of technicians on board. And we cannot wait to hear more about you, Tasha. Thank you again so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Tasha, take us back to baby Tasha. Like when did you decide that veterinary medicine was going to be a career for you? Oh my God, uh, man, uh, it was not one of those things where I was like five years old and I was like, yep, I'm going to be a veterinarian and save animals. Um, I really started school or I didn't really, I, I literally started school to go for a bachelor's degree in journalism. And I just always wanted to write and, um, I got to college and I started writing and I started being in editing and copy editing. And after having a whole (laughs) semester of copy editing, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. This is horrible. And at the same time, I was getting really good grades, like 4.0 in my anatomy and physiology classes. And my anatomy professor said, you know, have you ever thought about switching over to biological sciences? And so I started looking at it. And then I decided that I really was very interested in learning more. I played around with the idea of human medicine for a hot minute. And then did not want to go that route. So I thought I'm going to do wildlife rehab. Like That's really what I want to do. So I did a semester down in the Florida Keys and I worked at the Florida Keys Wild Bird Center and it was amazing and I loved it. And I would have stayed doing that if it wasn't for the fact that I was getting paid literally $2.50 an hour. (laughs) Um, And I was just written into this government stipend and you get paid no money whatsoever. So I thought, okay, I have a bachelor's degree and I know how to place catheters in shorebirds. So now what am I going to (laughs) do? And I thought about staying down in the Florida Keys, but as fate would have it, um, I did the typical stupid 22-year-old girl thing and met a boy (laughs) 
<laughs> what? <laughs> I met a boy who was who was on vacation in the Florida Keys. Oh and, my gosh. Um, he and I started talking, and he lived in Philly, and he was like, you know, you should just move to Philly. And I was like, all right. So, yeah. So, so just take note, youngins. Um, looking back, it may have been a rash decision. Um, I yeah, I knew him for literally ten days, and then we moved in together in Philly. So, but long story short, I'm still in Philly. I fell in love with the city of Philadelphia. And then after being here, I started working in an animal hospital and I really didn't even know that you could be a veterinary technician. I didn't know that that was an option until I started working as an assistant at a veterinary hospital. And the doctor that I worked for at the time said, hey, why don't you go to school to be a vet tech? And I was like, oh, what's that? I didn't even know about it. I thought you just had to be a veterinarian. So I looked into some programs around the Philadelphia area and found one that really worked for me. And since I had a lot of the classes already done through my bachelor's, um, it was a pretty easy process. And I love the clinic that I worked at. And I've actually been at the same small animal clinic for 16 years now. Um, wow. So yeah, I fell in love with the profession and fell in love with doing all of this kind of stuff. Wow. I love that story, Tasha. But one of the things that I've got to highlight that you brought up once again is the fact that so many people come on the podcast that are veterinary technicians and say, I didn't even know this existed. Yep. And and this wasn't that long ago. This wasn't 50 years ago, Tasha. Right. This was within the past decade or so yeah. that you're kind of going, wait, I didn't even know it was a thing. Now, you've been very involved, of course, at all levels of leadership within the veterinary tech uh, community, but I mean, this is this is something we've got to work on. Yeah, it is something. I think that there's 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 still not a huge awareness in the general public as to, you know, the difference between a veterinary assistant, a veterinary technician, let alone a specialty technician. Um, I mean, granted, I think there's still some people within the veterinary community that don't understand right, right. what exactly a specialty technician can do and bring to your practice. Um, so I do think that there needs to be a little bit more awareness. Um, but I also would really like more colleges to kind of be out there. And I would really love it if more high school guidance counselors gave this as an option. Um, because, you know, now granted, I went to school for journalism. But at the time, I don't even think any of my friends, and I know that I had a couple who were interested in animals, like they never even got to hear the, oh, here's this option, this road you could take. And I have to say that there's a part of me that thinks like, maybe if I knew about this when I was in high school, man, I could have saved myself like five years and $36,000. Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So now you're working in a small animal clinic in Philadelphia. uh, And aside from personal life issues, when did you decide that anesthesia, pain management, all good things that involve sedation, when did that spark your interest? I mean, right off the bat, and I think that truly all veterinary technicians feel the same way. Now, I won't say they feel the same way about anesthesia, but this is the reason that all veterinary technicians and veterinary professionals get into this field, because we want to alleviate suffering. We want to relieve pain. That is why we get into it. Um, you know, I don't think anyone, you know, gets into veterinary medicine because they're like, man, you know what I want to do? A rabies clinic. Like, let's, <laughs> let's do some vaccines. Yes. 
not that they're not important, but I think that everybody feels that I want to alleviate that suffering and I want to help that animal. So for me, the pinnacle of that is anesthesia and pain management. Like I want to make sure that these animals are not put in pain and they're not put in undue stress. Uh, I want to make sure that I provide the best experience for my patients, whether they're coming in for a blood draw or multiple tooth extraction. Yeah, I mean, you make such an important point too uh, of that common factor for all of veterinary professionals and, and, and so many of us that we really, we want to alleviate that suffering. And there's almost like this fascination connection with the ability to do it. And you, you know, you easily can become passionate about, hey, I, when you see it working, when you see it done right, really comfortable animals and really comfortable pets. And I, I think this is a really important role for veterinary technicians. Um, you, you know, how do you help encourage technicians to find their place and find their role in advocacy? You know, the certified veterinary pain practitioner, like for those passionate technicians, how are you helping them find their voice for that? I mean, it's hard. I will say that it does depend on the clinic that you work at. I mean, the the management at the clinic and the veterinary clinic in general, um, the doctors and the management have to be open to letting the veterinary technicians be a part of the team. So I think if you have a clinic that is going to support you, again, whether you want to get your BTS in internal medicine or your BTS in dentistry or get going on the CBPP and get you know deep into pain management, I think you do have to have a support network because going for these VTSs and these extra programs is a ton of work. You know, it equates to about two years worth of work. Um, there's a lot of testing you have to do. It does cost money to do it. So I, I wouldn't recommend doing it unless it's something that you're really interested in. Okay. So Tasha, there's, there's two areas here that I want to break them apart because I think they, it, it requires this. The first is the anesthesia part. And the second is the pain management. Now I know the, the drugs and the techniques may overlap, but but let's let's start with anesthesia. You know, I think that's one of the areas where my veterinary technicians were of tremendous benefit. You know, not only from the the procurement of the medications. You know, so I would give them the dosages. They would get them up. You know, make sure everything was done properly. But actually, you know, helping administer anesthesia, monitoring anesthesia, recovering the patients from anesthesia. I mean, this is a big big deal. But yet, many veterinary technicians and veterinarians, I would argue are afraid of anesthesia. So, I mean, I'd like to, for you to talk a little bit about how can you help a person listening today who says, you know, look, I'm just doing this one simple protocol that I've always done. How can you get them to expand in their comfort zone and really take advantage of some of the modalities and, and drugs that we have available today? Well, it really is education. You know, there are so many resources available now. There's so many really good websites. There are so many hands-on training courses um, you know, most of the major conferences will offer hands-on training. So I think if you say, you know what, I'm not going to offer a local block because I'm not comfortable doing it. Um, now that's a disservice to your patients. And it right. really should be that you get up and get out there and go learn how to do a local block, especially if you're extracting teeth or, you know, if you're taking off a limb, you T Tasha, any, t almost any time, yeah. you know, I really have a hard time making a case when we couldn't put bupivacaine or something in, you know, a, a suture line, you know, I mean, come on. Exactly. So I think that it has to be, again, at, the technicians want to advocate for their patients. And so for technicians, I tell them, go get educated. So that way, when you do advocate for your patients, you have something to back it up, you know? So if I say, hey, I think this would be a good candidate for a drug like dexmedetomidine. 
um, I want to be able to back that up with my clinician. So if my clinician says, hey, you know what? I'm not really used to dexmedetomidine. I can say, well, hey, this is the dosages that I'm used to. These are some studies that I could provide you. I just did some reading, looking at specifically dexmedetomidine use in you know, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patients. Let's talk about it. So I think as technicians, it's important to be advocates, but also it's important to be educated so that when you are advocating for your patient, you're not just regurgitating information. You really know what's going on with your patient anesthetically. You know, you're exactly right. And anytime I have technicians ask me how to implement any kind of change, any kind of practice they want to improve or best protocol that they want to implement, they they'll always say, you know, my veterinarian's really resistant to change. How do you get them on board? And exactly to your point, I always say you you have to come at them with data. You have to come at them with studies. You have to show them why this is the most beneficial way, why this change is worthwhile and and how that can be hammered out. And I love that you help empower technicians to do that. And I think one great way that you do that is with the Facebook community, uh, Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds. You, you always see questions on there that say, hey, this is our current protocol or what are you guys doing? How is it working? How do you get your veterinarians on board? And there's such a close knit, supportive community. So can you just, you know, for anybody out there who does not, I don't know, that lives under a rock and has not <laughs> yet seen your amazing community. I mean, what are you up to now? It's like 15,000 or something, right? We are at 36,000. What? 36,000. <laughs> 36, 36,000 anesthesia nerds all over the world. Um, and it's been fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I started the group very selfishly because I had a few VTS uh, friends and I had a few DACVAAs, anesthesiologist friends, and I just wanted to bounce questions off of them because I am constantly, I want to be constantly learning and doing the best for my patients. So I just wanted to bounce some questions off some friends. And, you know, they said, hey, can can we invite some of our technicians? Sure. Can we invite our technicians? So it just grew really organically that it, it became too big for me to handle by myself. Hence why now I have two co-administrators uh, the fantastic, super smart Stephen Satal and Darcy Palmer, who is a BTS yeah. in anesthesia. So I have the two yeah. of them helping me along because it is so many people. And we're trying to answer the questions and keep the group um, dynamic and making sure that we are advocating for best practices. Yeah. And one of the things, too, if you don't check out the, the Facebook page, I encourage you to. But a lot of the questions, Tasha, are really kind of basic, you know, I mean, they're, they're asking about mm -hmm. basic protocols for spays and neuters and things like that, dentistries. And, and, you know, there are some specific complex cases that come up. And I think you guys do a good job of sort of knowing when to say when, <laughs> and, you know, we, we can't go off too much on, on those types of cases, but I would really encourage you. It's, it's a wonderful resource. And, and again, if you're listening, I'm sure you've heard me say this multiple times on here. If there's any area of veterinary medicine that you, your veterinarians, your entire staff needs to know cold, it is the drugs that we use to take an animal into an unconscious state and then oh, try yeah. to bring them back. So I am super, super loving. I mean, I've, you know, obviously, Tasha, I've been in practice a lot longer than, you know, you've been around <laughs> uh, and, and certainly in, at this, this type of group. But this is one of those areas where you owe it to your patients, as Tasha has said repeatedly, to actually know your stuff and not just regurgitate, you know, a dosage. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes me really happy about this group and, and the thing that warms me up the most is that, 
you know, where I live in in North Carolina, we have a, a shortage of veterinary technicians as we do across the country. And I can think of the majority of times I was in practice, I was generally the only registered tech on staff. And it, it put a lot of pressure on me in a lot of ways um, in the relationship between my veterinarian and I. But also it, it felt kind of lonely. It felt kind of isolated. And when best practices were, were not being met, a lot of times I felt really unsupported. And this is create a community of where no one really has to feel alone if they have a problem that they're they you know specifically are uncomfortable with something that they're doing there's always science and resources and people and in a time where we have kind of a uh, not the nicest culture within our veterinary community as a whole oh, yeah. and a lot of times within yeah. practices you've got this community where we're there's no bullying everyone respects each other how do you guys help navigate that space yeah. with 36,000 people it's a great question yeah uh, I will say it's hard and thank God that I have the two co-administrators to really go through everything. Um, and when I say go through everything, I mean that we pre-approve the posts. So that helps a lot in that if somebody comes on and wants to post and say, my doctor is an a-hole and they only want to do telazole or box down a patient, we're not going to go there. You know, if you want to have a discussion about, again, best practices and why boxing or masking induction is no longer supported, then we can do that. But we don't want to start out anything where team members are attacking each other or um, veterinarians are pitted against doctors because I, me personally, I truly believe that that is a team effort and the tr there has to be trust. And if we can't have an open dialogue with that trust, then we're not going to do very good for the patient in the clinic. Well, Tasha, one of the other things I really admire about you is the fact that you've now sort of outgrown the virtual space and you've now created a real conference. I, that sounds terrible. But you know what I mean? Like a real life, yeah. in real life, in-person conference. IRL. So yeah, it's our fourth year and we will be at the Oquendo Center in Las Vegas, October 28th Beautiful. and 29th. And it's two days of nothing but anesthesia and pain management. So it's kind of set up for people who are interested in, they already know the basics of anesthesia, but they want to dive a little bit deeper. Or it's for technicians who are interested in obtaining their VTS in anesthesia or their CVPP, their pain management, because our speakers are Kristen Messenger, who is a fantastic anesthesiologist. Also, Tammy Grubb, who, again, if you've heard her speak, you know that she just knows her stuff inside and out, especially when it comes to pain management in cats. So she's going to give a couple lectures for us. And then this year, something kind of cool is that we are adding a third day optional regional anesthesia wet lab um, and those we are doing a morning session and an afternoon session and those are actually already sold out <laughs> wow wonderful that is I mean that's really incredible when you say sold out how many spaces how many folks are we talking because this is a pretty intimate setting um, so yeah. people can expect to get some really hands-on face-to-face interaction right yeah. So for our regional, I mean, even the conference, we only have 130 spots. So we want Amazing. it to be very intimate. We want people to be able to come with their questions and talk to anesthesiologists. Like you're going to be able to ask a question of an anesthesiologist or a BTS technician. We want people to have one-on-one -on -one interaction. So they don't just feel like they're in a big group and learning epidurals. Like I am going to sit with you and walk you through epidurals, like one-on-one -on -one interaction. So we, it is a pretty small group. And like I said, we're already, for the lecture portion, we're already 75% sold. 
Um, and we've only been open for two weeks. So wow. it's very encouraging to me that uh, other people are interested in pain management and anesthesia and want to do the best for their patients. Well, one of the other things that I've always really respected and admired about you, in addition to your intelligence and commitment to the profession, is also you're a hustler, Tasha. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I would like to, if, if you would, just tell us a little bit about, you know, how you've navigated the pressures of being a single mom, working at least a couple of jobs, plus all this other stuff. I mean, you know, I think a lot of times people, when they go through life, they, they feel overwhelmed as, as they should. And I get that. But yet you have persevered and just risen to the top and you keep hustling. So maybe it, tell those people out there listening today that are going, you know, look, I just can't do all of this. Tell them, give them some advice how you did it. Um, well, I like to say that you certainly can do it all. You just can't do it all at the same time. Right. Yeah. So you have to stop feeling like you can't do everything. Um, there was a point a couple of years ago that I have to tell you, I was going through a divorce. Um, I was, you know, I have an eight year old son. I was trying to juggle two jobs and speaking and lecturing and maintaining the Facebook group um, and spending time with my child. And I got to a point where there were a couple other people in the profession who seemed to be doing so much more than me. And uh, a great a mentor of mine named Vicki Byard, who's a BTS in dentistry, um, she said to me, you realize that those other people aren't working two jobs and they don't have children at home. So you're comparing yourself to these other people, but you're in a different, so you have to take yourself out of that mindset. Yep. And that's really what I did. It did change how I look at things. And it did, you know, put in a perspective that, you know what, Yes, actually, I want to do all of these things, but ultimately what I want to do is make memories with my son, Oliver. So I'm going to do that first, and then I'm going to go down the list of other things. So I, I have had things on my list now for eight months, and they may stay on my list. Eventually, I will get to them, <laughs> right. but you don't have to do everything all at the same time. And I think sometimes we think that if we take a step back, or we take um, FMLA leave, or if we pull ourselves back to part-time, we'll get forgotten about, or we will forget things. And it's just not true. You got to take time for yourself, especially in this profession. So there was a good six months after my divorce that I really pulled back. I, I said, Stephen, Darcy, you're going to have to handle things. You know, I, I didn't write a lot for the websites that I usually write for. I, I pulled myself back because I just needed to give myself time to reprioritize things. Right. And Tasha, this just goes back to the myth of work-life balance. I mean, there's no balance. You know, no. it's chapters. <laughs> I mean, there are times yes. when you're overwhelmed and you are you swing in all these different directions. But like here is a great example of where you were swinging hard into your personal life, being a parent, you know, so you had to take six months really to to reconnect and, and I would argue recharge, you know, sort of that part of your being. And now, you know, once you kind of fill up that cup, then you're able now to go over to this next area. I mean, life just keeps swinging around where I think people get really bent out of shape is when they just swing somewhere and get stuck. And then that's really where it becomes negative and destructive. Yeah. And a very important point I feel like you made, number one is not measuring yourself against other people's rulers. It's, yeah, right. it's so, you know, important to just look at where you're at, but but to your other point that I really loved is what are the things that make you happy? What are the priorities and focusing on them? And, you know, when I when I lecture on quote unquote work life balance, you know, what I talk about is truly filling out your life pie chart and making sure that the chunks are appropriately distributed 
where you want them to be, wherever that is, because you still only have 100% to give, you know, so you're going to have to give it in the chunks that you want to give it. Um, And I love that you were able to do that. And it's truly inspirational. Uh, Some of us really do fear, like you said, stepping back, getting forgotten about, becoming irrelevant. And like you said, this is about memories and and you're going to be able to do so much more for the veterinary community because you took that time. So thank you not only for what you're doing for the community, but thanks for what you did for yourself, because we all can learn from that. Yeah, I mean, it's just so easy to get burnout, especially if you are a super overachiever like me, where I just think like, yeah, I want to do all the things of, you know, of course, I'm going to work that shift. And then of course, I'm going to write that article. And yeah, I'm going to speak at your conference. And okay, I'm going to do that book chapter. And, you know, there comes a point where you have to be like, wait, okay, I want to be in clinic, and maybe I'll write one chapter, but I can't sign up for seven things. Um, You really do have to pace yourself. And so many people will come up to me and say, Oh, how'd you get to where you are? And that's so, you know, it's so inspiring. And I'm super happy that I can inspire other people. And that's what I want to do. Um, But it isn't easy. So there's no secret trick. There is no fast road to where I'm at. I I started anesthesia nerds seven years ago, and now it's where it's at. So it takes a long time. So it, it takes a long, hard work. So in order to have longevity in this field, you have to step back and pace yourself. Well, and also, Tasha, you've touched on this before. You can't do it alone. Like you mentioned with the Facebook group, you brought in other people. And I think you're not going to go through the rest of your life alone anymore. So, uh, you know, maybe give us an update on what's happening with uh, your personal life. True. Oh, you guys want to talk about my personal (laughs) life? Can we get in it? Because he's kind of cool and I kind of like him. Oh, my God. I know. I actually really love him, too. I mean, (laughs) it's probably a good thing since we've agreed to, you know, get married. Um, but yeah, so I met a guy at the anesthesia nerds conference. (laughs) Um, and he is a veterinary technician as well. And he does anesthesia all day long. And at first I thought, oh, this is not going to be great. Like, (laughs) I don't know if I want somebody who does anesthesia all day and we're just going to come home and it's going to talk about anesthesia. Yeah. And we're talking about anesthesia. (laughs) Yeah. But I have to tell you, like one of our very first dates not very far, like second or third dates, he had to watch a podcast uh, uh, or a video on respiratory function and anesthesia. And he was like, oh, I know we're supposed to have dinner tonight, but I got to work. I got to watch this, you know, PowerPoint thing. Would you mind if before we went out, we watched this PowerPoint? So I was like, wait a minute. Are you asking me to come over to your house? And watch what? a PowerPoint <laughs> on cardiovascular and respiratory function. Under and who says romance is dead? <laughs> and I was like, we are getting married right now. Right now. Right now. Preventricular <laughs> contractions. Yeah. He's a super so, cool guy. I mean, he goes so way cool. beyond anesthesia and veterinary medicine. I mean, this dude, he's, oh, he's I like him. Just like, you know, I do really believe that the universe kind of like has your back. And yeah. I yeah. really... You know, as you guys know, and people who know me, I'm very high strung. Um, Again, I want to do all the things all the time. I am very extroverted. And he is my, the yin to my yang. He is very calming. Um, When I'm home with him, I am able to calm down, recharge. It's, it's amazing. So I'm very happy the universe has sent him my way. 
And Tasha, that's, I, I'm glad you, I appreciate you sharing this. I mean, obviously, you know, I know you personally, and, and this is part of your story, but there are people that are listening today. I, I mean, you went through a very dark place here a couple of years ago when you were going through this, this divorce. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people think it's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And I think you are testament to the power of perseverance. And you know what? If you stick around, things do happen. I mean, good things. Yeah, yeah and- they do. And, you know, the other thing I love is your ability to say I wasn't OK. I went through a dark time. I did step back. I did give up. I think, you know, we're we're in a community of perfectionists that never want to admit that. And so thank you for, you know, being able to be out there and be vulnerable and be real with the community and say, um, these are the things I went through. It, it, it's not all sunshine and roses, but the universe has your back. Keep going, because I, I think that's actually a really I think it's a perfect sentiment. Yeah, it really is. And there, there is the pot of gold at the rainbow. In this case, a very handsome guy who likes indie music and anesthesia as much as uh, some of us on the podcast. Pot of soda sorber. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's like really cute. But I may have to use that later. <laughs> ah, nice. Nice. So I, but I, I do want people to always understand, you know, that it does get better no matter yeah. how bad it may seem today or how difficult or impossible to overcome the odds are you do it you know you can and you know so tasha that's again just testament to who you are but i I really appreciate you sharing yeah that's exactly right and and to the testament of veterinary anesthesia nerds there is thirty six thousand people waiting to talk about anesthesia if you have questions if you have thoughts this is a place to go if you haven't already checked it out where else can they find you tasha where they can find where can they find out about the conference other information where should we send people yeah, so the Facebook group is the main, kind of our main area. We're also on Instagram, uh, Vet Anesthesia Nerds. Um, so we're on Instagram talking about cases. We are on Facebook. Uh, we have a website, veterinaryanesthesianerds.com, um, where we have updates on everything. So we are definitely out there. You can find you know, me on Facebook, uh, Tasha McNerd. So I've had people you know, message me all the time with anesthesia questions. So I will, if, if I can answer your question, I will certainly help you. Um, but if not, I'll put you in the direction of someone much smarter than me to, to help you out. Well, Tasha, I want to thank you again for helping out so many in our profession and helping out the patients that we love and care for. So if you like stuff like this, definitely let us know on social media. We are on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. We're on Facebook, um, Veterinary Viewfinder. And of course, on Twitter, if you're still out there at VetViewfinder.com. But what we really would like for you to do is to go to iTunes and leave us like a really nice review because that's how we know that we're making a difference. And if you like hearing from people like Tasha McNerney, then just go out there and say, hey, you know, tell other people that we're trying to spread some good messages and tackle the toughest topics. So hit us up on iTunes. Yep. And while you're there, don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of The Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, you will find that pot of soda at the end of your rainbow. I promise. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.